You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Cofield and Company on a Wednesday. John Von Tobel is here. We are at the BBBC. Justin Watkins, owner of the place, Battleborn Injury Lawyers, will be along in about an hour. A lot of good stories to get into. Um, I'm hoping we can tackle a very weird situation with Trevor Bauer, the Dodgers pitcher who was accused of uh, some pretty horrific stuff and basically got booted from Major League Baseball. Served a long penalty, and he, I, I guess, legally had a gag order lifted or some cases were settled and he went on a long diatribe and it was really interesting. And the internet's especially what appeared to be guys. Cause you never know, yeah. uh, you know, so many anonymous people were like celebrating the whole thing with, you know, see, he's innocent. Our justice system is effed. So perfect day to talk to you, Justin, about that. We're going to be all over the place today. At the end of the show, I had a good conversation yesterday with a uh, running rebel Jalen Hill. Las Vegas, mm-hmm. back in town. Kevin Kruger recruited him once to Oklahoma. Ooh, Marvin Menzies couldn't get him. Kevin Kruger recruited, uh, recruited him again, back here for his final year. So we'll get into some running Rebel basketball, and that'll be around 545. So a super tease way ahead. But we start out with football and come out of the gates with the Chargers make a move. This is a weird one. They stole... J.C. Jackson, the cornerback from the Patriots a year ago, $82.5 million deal. He got hurt last year. He was playing poorly when he did play. He came back this year. He was playing poorly, was inactive, and now they've traded him back to the Patriots. Wacko. Wacko. But they got to do something to change up that defense, and maybe, as we've suggested, and so many NFL insiders have suggested on the show, maybe Brandon Staley could actually stop calling the plays on defense and just be the head coach. But I don't think that's going to happen right now. So that's kind of a big move. And I I didn't see any breakdown of the money. I assume. I don't know what happened. But that's an interesting move from the Patriots who are getting a high-dollar guy but actually need some twitchiness on offense. Yeah. I mean, I that's what my takeaway was. Now, their rookie, Christian Gonzalez, is probably going to be done for the rest of the year. So that's going to hurt them a little bit in that regard. So maybe that's why you go out and get a guy who performed really well for you. Um, so that's it makes some sense you're going to go and get him. But from the Chargers side, how big of a miss is that? Like, it's so weird that a guy played so well, right, and looked as good as he did the, you know, the year that he goes out, right. and then all of a sudden just completely falls apart and is never even close to the guy. That he was going, that he was in that last year with the New England Patriots. So could it, it be? Could it be a system thing? I mean, the physical part of it, obviously, this year might be an effect on the injury, but could it be just system and scheme? I mean, I think that's that's what I was going to say, which is like maybe it was just like, hey, you're comfortable in whatever Bill Belichick was asking you to do, and whatever Bill. Because I think at the end of the day, with Bill Belichick, I think it is fair to start to question Bill as a decision maker when it comes to evaluation of offensive talent and the way he's been executing things on that end. However, defensively, he's had this team playing at a baseline of above average for a very long time, no matter what the personnel is. And so I, I think that we can trust that, at least on that end, that he's going to maximize the potential of almost every single body that's going to enter that system. And maybe that was J.C. Jackson. So J.C. Jackson owes Bill Belichick quite a bit. He got him a lot of money right, because of that year, and now he's coming back. But I think it makes sense for both parties, one for the Chargers to move on, the other for the Patriots to go and get them. But, yeah, swinging a miss by the Chargers personnel-wise. 
So the interesting thing here is this is a repeat of a weird free agent move that has happened several times around the AFC West. And DeMond leans on his NFL insider. His NFL insider is a guy named Ari Miroff, who's at NFL Rums, who basically just uh, aggregates, just copies everyone else's stuff and puts it out there. Um, and that now he's on Lotus uh, Broadcasting often. Um, <laughs> you sent us a story with your boy Ari and mentions of issues around the division like J.C. Jackson for $82.5 million. The Raiders adding Chandler Jones for $51 million. And the Broncos just cut Randy Gregory, and Jones was cut last week. Randy Gregory, five years, $70 million. And as uh, your guy Ari said, all three players cut this week. So what do you mean from that? Is it just the obvious, Amon? Yes, it's just the obvious. And Steve, let's not poo-poo on the aggregators. He put it all there for a nice big chunk, so it was right there and easy for me to find. But also, yeah, it, he, he, does, he, does, he collects all the stuff and puts it out. That's good. That is helpful. <laughs> but yes, it's just the obvious of all these teams. Hey, going to make a big addition on defense last offseason, a big high price defensive addition. And all three teams said, hey, for whatever reason, it's not working out. And the Chiefs, no one's catching up to them on the offensive end. Their defense is getting a little bit better. And they're still not close to the Chiefs. Yeah, well, no one's catching the Chiefs right now, first and foremost, because of Patrick Mahomes. But you can help yourself with good personnel moves. And, you know, every offseason I do this, and I know I definitely did it this offseason. Every time we talked about this division and the Chargers, the Raiders, the Broncos, the Chiefs, I would ask people, who's the worst coach? Who's the worst GM? And then flip it to who's the best? And the GM question is fascinating because Brett Feach and his personnel department, they are the best. Who? Brett Veach. Who's that? Exactly. <laughs> you never hear him uh, or hear of him, but they do consistently well in the draft. They're good in terms of grabbing guys from around the league. Not everyone works out, right? Not everything's perfect, but I'll tell you what, Orlando Brown, is he really a 17 or $18 million player on the line or 22 like he was requesting from the Chiefs? No. And they just said, no, thanks. But they've consistently found receivers, and I think a lot of their little guy receivers are going to turn out. They just need a little more developing, got to get healthy. Yeah, that's the biggest problem in the AFC West and making it more even with the best quarterback maybe in the history of football is that the other teams have flopped at different times from a personnel standpoint. And I think it's it builds on oh, the last two off seasons. You know, they've been comfortable with the wide receiver rooms that they've gone into the season with. But I think that's a lot of us point to it and go, oh, you have Patrick Mahomes. But I think that's also the Chiefs saying two things, right? Yes, we have Patrick Mahomes. We also have Andy Reid, who we think is going to maximize their capabilities. We also have a system of le learning that we know what guys fit what we want to do. And we're comfortable kind of going through each one of these guys and, and using them as wide receivers because we feel like they're going to be able to, at least in this system and the way that we scout them out, maximize their abilities in this offense. And this is the way of the world. If you have a quarterback, and really there should probably only be like seven, because that's another thing we have to talk about is the middle class of quarterback who are getting – you know, 30 to $44 million like Danny Dimes, don't do that anymore. But if you're going to have one of the top-notch guys, then guess what? That means other guys are going to get cut. You can't afford certain positions. You have to get cheaper. And that's when you really have to nail it. Like, not nailing Chandler Jones is a disaster for the Raiders, but you got to nail the other areas. And, you know, it's funny. The Raiders have been pretty solid in the middle rounds with these two guys. And even going back, they've had some flops. You know, uh, what was a couple of years ago, they had three second round picks, and I think they're all out of football now. 
Um, but you're competing with not only the greatness of Mahomes, but the greatness of Veach in the draft. And honestly, when you look at that list, Randy Gregory's gone. JC Jackson's gone. Chandler Jones is gone. Who would you give the biggest? What were you doing when you signed that guy? Who? What's the worst signing of the three? Uh, I think I'd probably go with Randy, right? I think I'd go with Chandler Jones. I don't think he played well last year, and it turns out that he's got mental health issues, and he spun out of control. Mm-hmm. These guys worked with the Patriots. They were around for the last Chandler Jones incident. Why would you invest $51 million in a guy like that? Yeah. And I feel bad for the guy, and he's, he does have issues, but buyer beware. And it's like, oh, we didn't know. How did you not know? Not that you couldn't predict another episode, but you could at least you'd have the best idea that, hey, this is a little bit dangerous. Yeah. And actually, I'm going to take that back because uh, I think I was wrong. I'll go with actually JC Jackson. <laughs> only, only because if you look at the money given to him and the total amount of snaps that they got out of him and level of production, I think all of those things together probably equate to give a guy over $80 million and to get barely over 100 or 200 snaps from him and all of 200 snaps were extremely subpar play. At least at times, Chandler Jones had an impact for the Las Vegas Raiders. Again, off the field stuff uh, is important as well. But I think in terms of money and production, I'd probably go with Jackson. All right. On the way back, I need a pep talk. I have not checked baseball scores today. I have no idea if anyone's played so far. We mentioned actual baseball on the field yesterday for about 30 seconds. I just read the final of the Rays and Tamper. And uh, you guys love baseball. I know DeMond does playing his uh, grid game or whatever that's called. I know you like it. So give me a pep talk. I got to get into the baseball playoffs and we'll find out. If the rest of Vegas is into the playoffs right now for Major League Baseball, by the way, day two already. How good did that feel coming out, Mr. Pfizer? You've been planning on that? No, I mean, he's, you know, he's he's uh, doing commercials for Pfizer, so he, I'm sure he's owning it. Two band aids. He's doing a lot of others, yeah, too. He's double. got Lowe's. You could have called him Mr. Lowe's. Mr. State Farm, Mahato. Junkie Experience credit score. Experience. You only saw one of them. You've been busy. You saw one. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. So McAfee with A-Raj. I mean, pretty much anything Aaron Rodgers says is good with me. Um, but yeah, he threw out Mr. Pfizer the other day about Travis Kelsey. So you hear McAfee kind of setting it up. And Rodgers made a, a quick quip, which I guess is a quip. It's mm. quick. And actually, A.J. Hawk was the one who came in and then listed like six other sponsors and basically was like, why'd you go after him for Pfizer? And then... Rodgers wouldn't elaborate. Of course. Look, that's always been my biggest problem with Rodgers. Feel whatever you want to feel and, you know, stay whatever you want to say. He's always been that way, though. And then he sits back and goes, like, well, I don't know why. I don't know why you guys have this thing about with me. And, you know, everybody's just always trying to put work. No, like, you're doing this. You started this. it. But it's, right. But he gives the quick jab and then gets out. And that's why. And I always and probably, wouldn't answer McAfee when they were kind of following up on right. there. And that's I go back to, again, the part of my take podcast where they asked him how many people you think you killed. It's always fun when you want to throw out the jabs, but when somebody wants to go back at you, oh, guys, that's inappropriate. That's not fair. If you want to dish it, then you should be able to take it. There's always been my thing, and Rodgers can never do that. I'll tell you who got really worked up yesterday. I was surprised he went down this rabbit hole. And for everyone out there who wants to keep doing it, God love you. Enjoy yourself. But Godly was going crazy yesterday on uh, – not crazy, but he was really into it on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, I didn't see this. Oh, yeah. Just his show in whatever hour it was, right. you know, driving to the station, heard him in the, I think it was the two o'clock hour. And he was just annoyed by the whole thing. About what? Just a, Kelsey or who? That uh, Rogers is taking shots mm. at Kelsey for pushing Pfizer. 
also interesting, you know, there is another manufacturer of these vaccines, mm -hmm. Woody Johnson and company. Ooh, okay. Um, <laughs> Which, hey, you know what? Good for Rogers, man. He's so wealthy and he doesn't, you know, hey, I got my money. Uh, yeah, you know what? Screw it. He actually, he should, he probably should add to it, not just Pfizer, but Pfizer is the one that's advertising with Kelsey. I assume you're getting paid, right? Pfizer is paying Travis Kelsey. Oh, yeah. No I, doubt. I, do you know how many one things? Of those, like seven endorsements now. Get, going back to what we always talk about, you know how many things I would endorse yeah. for money? And then Jason. anyone who really cares like three years from now, <laughs> right. what does it matter? I'm never going to see you and I will count my millions. Sure. That's why I don't understand why this bothers so many people. If the advertisement's not for you, all right, it's not for you. Who cares? People are stuck on it. Uh, I am not stuck on baseball. So get me into the playoffs. Um, I just learned from you in the first five minutes of the <laughs> show that Texas eliminated Tampa. Yes. I, I haven't watched. And I'm not. This is not me ripping baseball. I'm just telling you during football season. And I've said this to you guys before. We're going to do some NBA later on. I have a tough time getting in an NBA until like what? February. February? Well, you, you, we're going to be we're going to be into it with you guys. You and Demon are very much into it. We have uh, some other contributors who will be into it. So Major League Baseball, though. Yeah, Rays are out already. Done. That's Four nothing yesterday. Seven one today. That's the surprising part. So for those who haven't been following, I don't really care. Uh, Texas bullpen is the real issue, right? Are they going to do it? Well, back to back days, they get seven innings out of their starter. So if you can get that with that offense, you're going to be productive enough to get out of it. But Tampa Bay defensively melted down each of the last two games. Whoosh, they're done. Texas move on to face Baltimore. I'm excited. Also because I have a bet on Texas to win the World Series. So let's go Rangers. We don't need to look at changing up seating in baseball, do we? People always complain should about it, that. Should it just be the best teams in order? Like the NBA does? Right, like you win your division, you're in, but your seating, you know, you're playing by your seating. So, I mean, I would say I always prefer that, right? Like maybe winning a division should get you a seat at the table, but if your record is not good enough, then you should have to go on the road. Like obviously Minnesota, who's up right now over Toronto, being able to get a home series after winning a dreadful division. Yeah. Um, people would complain about that. Obviously talking about Tampa with how many games they well, won, but still being able to – or still having to open the series – in the yeah. wild card round. In it's a lot still, of ways, the, both of the centrals offer the same challenges. Sure. They have mostly uh, dying markets, not the Cubs or the White Sox. The but, Cardinals. But, but, well, I mean, the Cardinals were bad this year. No, I best team. The best Cardinals will bounce back. but you And the Reds were better. But you mm -hmm. do have four or five cities that whine, even though they have billionaire owners, about not having money. Yeah. And generally, they're not competitive. And it, it should make it easier for – the centrals to pile up wins. It just didn't, it wasn't the case this year. But, you know, this, like, with, for, if we're focusing on Tampa Bay for a second, I mean, you still got the series at home. So it's not like it was something that was, you know, hey, we didn't win enough games, but then we had to go on the road initially, right? We see it in the NFL all the time where teams would win 12 games, but because their division opponent won 13, they would have to go on the road in a wild card round. That's not the case. So Tampa just played some bad baseball for a couple of games. Man. Or were some of these times there with the defense especially? I So I, I, will, I will readily admit the last like month of the regular season, I did not watch. But Tampa Bay has this year, the beginning of the year, was a very sound defensive team. They have a history of being a sound defensive team. It seemed like it was just kind of a meltdown, like a bad stretch of events. And, you know, it's weird, like, you know, for baseball, when you talk about the way the season is set up, it is so weird how they've constructed this wild card round, which is we are a, we are a, a sport built on large sample size of data. It's a 162-game yeah. yeah, marathon. Yeah, yeah. Yep. All right, best of three. And you're like, wait, what? Like, anything can happen over the course of two games. It gets pretty wild. So I think they were just uh, – it was just a bad stretch of variance for the Tampa Bay Rays. Will 
and I don't want to speak for the whole market, but I still think we are, we are an NFL market first. Tell me if I'm wrong on this one. We are an NFL market first. I'm talking about watching the NFL. Mm-hmm. We're a Raiders market second. Like, I think the NFL is bigger here than the Raiders are. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So where do we go from there? Like, where um, do you think Major League Baseball rates? Oh. And how much does it change in 2028 when we've got a Major League Baseball here on the a team on the ground that might not be good in the A's? Uh, they'll be last until the NBA comes here, and then they'll be last. So, like, <laughs> like I don't think baseball would be – I think there's a very small and passionate fan base of like uh, in terms of baseball just in general out here. Yeah. You know, like, I, I had a lot of classmates in high school that made some noise in the majors. My cousin played Major League Baseball across the pond. Like, so I, I saw, like, a glimpse of how – deep that community is and we see the little league team perform well so i think there's a strong baseball community out here but is that does that stretch out enough to where if the a's were to play a day game you know in a wild card round would it be supported well enough and i don't think that would be the case although i don't think if they made the playoffs there'd be nineteen thousand in the building like there was for the Rays. you think there'd be more i mean fan i mean yes if it happened if it happened pretty quickly obviously because people will come to visit as well yes you got visitors and and in this case, you'd be a winner early on. It would kind of it wouldn't be VGK like, but at least along the the same lines. I, I thought because I know Demond was saying, "Hey, you know what? Screw Tampa. You got nineteen thousand at game one. You don't even deserve a team." But I, I saw something interesting for you, where you're like, "You know, baseball kind of did it to him." Yeah. Why would you have a three p.m. Eastern first pitch for the Tampa Bay Rays? Like you you talk about getting screwed over. I mean, outside of the wild card round, we want all these games to get slotted into the day game. Yes, we get it. We're at home, but you should, and especially with baseball, I just understand, you know, this format too. For those who don't know, they're playing like th- those three straight days. It's all, it's just like a regular series. It's bam, bam, bam. But, you know, it's the postseason. You can skew this out. You don't have to have all four series played in one day. Or like yesterday, so I was going to go to dinner with my mom, right? And I was like, oh, cool. So when I go to dinner with my mom, I'll catch the night game for baseball. The, the latest game started at five. Why? Start, it started game at like seven. You know what I mean? Spread it out. Get more viewership. Do more for yourself. But instead, it starts at 12, which has been nice. I've been working at home the last couple of days, so I like watching it. But to start that early? 12? Yeah, to 12 at yeah, our time. I have no shot I, I don't watching get... a baseball game at noon. Exactly. Why not skew this That's back? my job, and I, I have no shot. Hey, by the way, Tampa Bay Rays fans, you've been watching your team this whole time. Congratulations. They made it to the playoffs. Get to the ballpark at 3 o'clock. It's like, I've got a job. How am I supposed to make it out there? I, I well, think they screwed a, themselves. It was a real baseball market, like. New York or Boston or oh, the, the, the cities that aren't winning right now. Right. That also and have a massive population where you're going to have more of a chance that That's people are going to be able to make it out there. Yep. All right. So what am I what am I looking for ultimately? Like what's our dream World Series matchup? Well, for me, it's Texas versus I don't know who's the worst team in the National League. So I have a chance to win this t- t- ticket. <laughs> um, I think it would be fun to get some new blood in there. Like I wouldn't mind like the Baltimore Orioles making a run. You know, to the to the World Series, just to get something nice and new and young, and and to be a good example of, hey man, build up the farm system, do it the right way, just like the Houston Astros did, and boom, look at there you go, you can actually make it to the promised land by doing it all the right way. But what does baseball want, and how will oh. they schedule aggressively so that basically they can eliminate certain cities and those fan bases? What I mean, Astros, really, what do they want? Astros Braves, right? Is like the Astros ultimate. Braves or Astros Dodgers? Yep. It's Astros one, <laughs> like like in the in the American League, it's Astros. There's no other answer, and then it's There's yeah, no, love it. There's it, no other answer. The Braves are Dodgers. Baseball. Yeah, Braves are awesome. They're dude. They're great. I mean, it yeah. seems all but destined. This uh, gritty, gutty Dodgers team. It would be fun to have them in there. I don't know that they could win the World Series. 
No, but they made it this far. They won a lot of games with a ragtag roster. And I know people may laugh at that, but if you follow the Dodgers all year, it was crazy the amount of injuries they had, and they still have a massive payroll. But man, they lost so many guys during the year, and their pitching depth it was, uh, it was it was nuts to see them excel. And really, August is what did it for them. Trying to find the most boring World Series. Well, but you want Baltimore in it because of the story. I think the I think it'd be good for baseball, right? Uh, from like, you know, I'm not even going to lie. I don't think baseball wants competitive balance. They say they do, but when it comes down to it, they don't really want Baltimore oh. to excel. Now, Baltimore being dominant for like six years and crushing people, that would make them into something more attractive because Baltimore was, they were a big player in baseball for a long time. And they had some great characters around Ripken. Figured it out. What's the worst? Minnesota, Miami or wow. Minnesota, Milwaukee? Minnesota, Milwaukee. Would be amazing. Be terrible. Okay, I'll I'll say in this, but it just it doesn't have any impact because I was going to say Miami, Minnesota, or Milwaukee, uh, or Baltimore too. Those four winning a World Series again would send the message that this bull crap about competitive balance is exactly what I just said. It's bull crap. <laughs> if you try, you can win. When you don't try, you have almost no chance of winning. When you complain about payroll and your stadium like the A's or you just tank, mm -hmm. then you have no chance to win. Minnesota's been good for a long time. In by the way, in not a small market, although they claim they're a small market, it's not a small market. They've also done it with different iterations of the team, right? Yeah. Like a few years back, it was just like, hey, this lineup, like one through seven is awesome. We're just going to mash. We're going to destroy. We're going to lead the league in homers. We're going to be incredible. This year, oh, our pitching staff's awesome. We've just signed a bunch of guys, developed dudes, and our staff's going to carry us as far as it can. And so far, it's carrying them pretty well. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, it's me and LV Football Talk. Some officiating in the NFL speak. I really want to get into the end of that uh, Jets-Chiefs game where there was a weird lockup between... It's clean. Uh, Jeff's defensive lineman and uh, Casey O-lineman where it was right in front of two officials and then someone who said they had spoken to an official laid out this laundry list of why it was not a hold and and uh, Caleb Herring went at him. So Caleb's coming up here in less than 10 minutes. So we saw some headlines of Urban Meyer will talk with Michigan State. Did you see the story initially? I did. So Michigan State had to fire their coach, Mel Tucker, for sexual harassment issues. Mm -hmm. I think most people have heard about the story. Now there's going to be a long legal battle. And when I saw Herb to Michigan State, I mean, it kind of makes sense to me. Urban Meyer to Michigan State made sense to you? You know what? Colleges, universities are so desperate. In that, and Herb's not in a great position right now. Or is he? In that... Hey, let's go from one low character guy to another. I don't think schools care. <laughs> You're right. They may take like a year break because, boy, the exile for Chris Beard in college basketball, that was a long time, wasn't it? That's a very good point. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, certain schools, you know, you're talking about in Beard's case, it was Texas Tech to Ole Miss. People are desperate to win at this and they have so much money and the boosters are so powerful. And hey, if uh, what's his name? Is it Ishba? Ishbia? What, yeah. what is his name? Ishbia. Yeah, Ishbia, who owns, uh, you know, the Suns. He's, he's the big backer. He's the one who put up a lot of the money for Tucker. What if he's saying, you know what? I'm tired of this. This guy wins. Go get Urban Meyer. I want to talk to him. 
you're right. Here's the thing, though. I think that you probably, I'm going to say probably, you probably draw the line at like two, three stops where you've had some issues, right? I mean, with Urban Meyer, we're talking about almost every single stop where there's been some sort of nefarious action from Meyer, whether it's all we know about Florida, the, you know, nice stopover with Jacksonville and how bad that went. Like, there's multiple issues with Urban Meyer, multiple stops. It's not a head coaching job, but uh, Bobby Petrino is back at Power 5. Yeah, but he's, like you said, he's an offense coordinator. He's not a leader of men. He's, he is of a unit. It's very important. Every every unit on that team, that team is very important. That's a right. high-level team at Texas A&M. But, that's, but again, in terms as, of expectations. as a coordinator, though, it's a much different situation than, okay, the head guy, the face of our program, Mel Tucker, just got fired for allegedly pleasing himself on the phone with somebody. Let's go get Urban Meyer. Like, that's think, a little rough transition. Do you think – uh, looking back now, should UNLV gone after Rick Pitino the first five times he was available? 100%. Because now he's at St. John's, and they're going to kill it. Yep. Oh, I mean, here's and the thing. We, and we as a market got stuck in this. Well, I mean, you can't. Right, the, the optics, you can't do it. If you want to be successful, cutthroat. Go. Do it. Okay, so then Michigan State could be the most cutthroat and go right back and get involved with Urban Meyer. That's why I say probably. I just don't think optically it would look very good if you were to go do that. And, again... Who knows how long it lasts? So this report was initially put out by our buddy Bernie Fratto, who used to do a little bit of Cofield and Company. He's a Vegas guy. He does Fox Sports Radio over on 1340 and 98.9 FM on the weekends. Phil in every once in a while. We'll hear him during the week. He put out the report. He's very connected in the Detroit and uh, you know East Lansing area. And then within a day, uh, Bruce Feldman. Did you see this? I did. Yeah, let's see. Bernie said, my best mole tells me, Urban Meyer will interview for the Michigan State uh, with Michigan State for their head coaching position. Stay tuned. Yes, it's real. It's possible. Has a lot of backers. We'll see where this goes. Uh, Bruce Feldman, who's a longtime college football insider, said about the quote reports linking Urban Meyer to the Michigan State job. I just checked with him. There is zero truth. Okay. One, I don't know why there it's quote reports. This is Fox on Fox Crime, isn't it? What is this? Oh, that's a good point. I forgot. Yeah. Feldman does work for Fox. Fox. Yeah. What the blank? Do you think that he knows? Like, I'm sure. Do you think? I mean, are you that? Are, are you that? No, what no, I'm, I'm not. I don't even know what the right word is. Lazy that you don't check who put out the report and if they possibly work under a very big Fox umbrella. Oh, I mean, in today's day and age where everything's aggregated, right? Where yeah. you just see a hey, headline yeah, report. As a media member, that's you know, of course. Hey, when I if, look if up the stories. wants to freaking put Ari Miroff in every rundown, that he can do that. Right. But and I. And Ari, you're part of the media too, but. Bruce Feldman's been doing this like 30 years. Like to your point, when I look at stories, I always go link to link to link to find the original source of the story. So you never want to. So you should do that as a, media, a member of the media. Maybe you don't. I will say Feldman is not the only person that has come out and like dunked on the reports. Uh, Tom Fornelli has listened to one of their podcasts over on CBS Sports. It's one of their college football writers who covers the Big Ten right. extensively. Right. He, he also mocked the report, said that that was not going to happen. Did he, did he, was his source Urban Meyer? Who's very know. believable? I don't know. I mean, that that is how this reads, right? Oh yeah, Lincoln Urban Meyer, uh, no, zero no. truth. When when Feldman, right, what did he say? I checked with him. Yeah, he has what? no interest. What? What? That's that confirms it. What are you talking about? Oh, he's no a, truth to it. He's a stand-up man, leader of men. Yeah, I mean, you started he can be the face of the program. Saying he's <laughs> scourge of the earth, and you can't hire him on the heels of Mel Tucker. Steve never once has a head coach said something and then did nothing, something else. Right. Never once has that ever. Never happened. lied to a. a a co-worker. And who knows? Hey, maybe he's telling the truth right now. Maybe tomorrow he's going to wake up and go, you know what? 
East Lansing sounds pretty good. Good point. I'm going to go out there and do it. People can change their minds. That's of course. Basically, that describes what's happened to Urban Meyer. And at every turn, he was thinking one thing, just innocently changed his mind the next day. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. All right, let's do it. Let's bring in Caleb Herring, Cofield and Company. What's up, Caleb? What's up, Cofield? How you doing, man? I'm good. Say hi to John Von Tobel. Wow. JVT, John Von Model, baby. What's up? <laughs> See, he's a listener. Or he just follows me on social media. Okay, well, that counts. Yeah. I do probably, probably more important. <laughs> yeah, we interact on social media quite a bit, actually. So We do. It's I, I dare, dare I say Caleb and I are friends. Okay. We are friends. I like wow. it. You're very jolly today. It feels like you got like a half day or something. Um, all right. <laughs> or or you're enjoying the uh, dissertation you're giving at times, although you've held back a little bit on social media. And it's about the quarterback position and grading the quarterback position and watching and understanding what a quarterback is supposed to do and what defenses are trying to do and all that, which brings us to a very, really interesting situation with UNLV football with uh, time off now until they go up to Reno to take on Nevada for the cannon. Jane Maiava's done a nice job of filling in for Doug Brumfield, but Brumfield is on the edge of being healthy enough to get his job back and potentially start in Reno. First, give me your take on Maiava to this point, because I, I think to the, the naked eye out there, people are like, hey, they're playing good football, and uh, Brumfield wasn't playing great at the beginning of the season. The job is Maiava's to keep. Yeah, I, well, first, I think Maiava's done great in backup duty. I think he's done what every head coach dreams that a backup will do, which is come in and play win- winning football. Uh, obviously, being 4-1 and one at this point, Maiava has yet to lose um, as a starter. So, yeah, great. That's awesome for him. And it's awesome for the team that that is the case. I think individually, if you were to individually grade Maiava, I would say that his performances have not been stellar. He hasn't done anything uh, from a from a totality of the game standpoint that's like, wow, that's unbelievably incredible that he did that. Yes, he made a very clutch throw uh, in the win against Vanderbilt in that comeback win. Yes, he was the quarterback as the team stormed back in that game. But he's done, I think, what every quarterback should be able to do with an offense that's rushed for 300 yards a game when you're the starter. I think you should win the game. I think when you have a defense that generates three turnovers in one game, uh, special teams that blocks a punt in two games for you and gives you excellent field position when your special teams is rated number one in the nation, I think realistically you should be expected to win as the quarterback of that team. Just imagine a world where all of those things are true. Uh, UNLV rushes for 307 yards and then the quarterback loses that game. Like the narrative shifts very quickly in that case. And I, I'm not sure that I want to credit or blame Maiava for anything that the team has accomplished at this point. Yes, he's done his part, his 111th, but I think the team around him has played well enough to get them to four and one. I don't think too much uh, praise or credit should be given to the quarterback of that team. And that's the nature of the business. I get it. Everybody's going to, you know, give the quarterback all the roses when things are going great. And that's to Maiava's benefit right now. But I don't think that his performance to this point has been anything to say, you know, this guy's a starting quarterback indefinitely for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think, too, if Jacob Borsillo, the kicker for Vanderbilt, makes a kick 
we're probably viewing this differently, right? Because he throws an interception. Mayava does to essentially end that game. They miss the kick and they go on to win that game. So let me ask you this, Caleb. The way I put it between Brumfield and Mayava, and this is what I told Steve the other day, I think Doug's just got the higher ceiling. If you're in a game in which your running game is kind of getting stuck in the mud and not really performing very well, Doug gives you the higher probability of being able to rely on your quarterback to make plays, maximize your passing attack, and win those games. That's 100% what I feel. I think the standard for Doug is higher than the standard for whoever the backup is. And in this case, Jay Mayaba. That was the case last year, um, and it's the case this year. And it's based on Doug's body of work that he's shown us in game and in practice. For those of us who have watched practice, we understand that he has not played up to his standard. He has not played up to the standard he's established for himself. So, and that's for every starter, right? Like every program has this, where the starter guy has the expectation what what you're supposed to do, what the minimum performance should be for you. If you look at the performances that Doug's put together, and it's just one game really in Michigan, I guess you can count as well. But when you look at what he's done with his reps, if you grade him through the lens of a quarterback, I would say, and I would be willing to go out on a limb here and, and say this, the grades would be similar to what Mayaba's done. But because Doug is Doug, he's the starter, there's the hype around him, what he did last year, all the anticipation, because of that, you view his grade as a bad grade compared to Mayava, who's a redshirt freshman, who's making his first real collegiate starts this season. You grade him on a curve because of that situation. Fair or not, it's the case. It is what it is. And I understand that perspective from a fan base. But realistically, when a coach is making a decision on who should start or not, there's way more that goes into the grade than how you feel about what the guy's performance is or what moving goalposts you call the standard for quarterback play. The coaches have a standard. Doug has met that standard more often than not. Uh, and that's why he's the starter. And according to Coach Odom, is still the starter pending his health. By the way, so you and I, Steve, we talked the other day about the PFF grade for Mayava in the game against Hawaii. For those who don't know, they have a system where for NFL games specifically, they won't release the grades until they're reviewed by another team. Uh, but in college, they release them immediately and then they update them later. Mayava's grade actually went down after okay. after a review. PFF passing grade now is 60.8 for that game against Hawaii. What it was, was the on the it was like 71. Yeah, it was 71.9, I yep. thought, for offense. Yeah. It is now down to 62.8 overall for offense, 60.8 as in terms of I didn't of a know they did that. They, yeah. they changed middle of the week. Okay. Or they can potentially change middle of the week. Yep. Uh, so, Caleb, what have you been saying to, um, you know, a lot of, we want, you know, we, we, these discussions, we want feedback from fans. You know, they have a certain standpoint on this thing. Uh, what have some fans been saying that you're, you know, you're saying that, hey, Brumfield could be the starter when he comes back? I, the the consensus, I think, or at least what's been said loudly, it, it always feels louder, is that Mayava is the guy, no questions asked, Doug's bench, he lost his job. Uh, I don't agree with that one bit. I don't think that that would be fair. I don't think that that is true even. It's not even about what's fair or not. It's just what's true. I don't think what Mayava's done individually now. I, I understand the emotions of the team being 4-1 and one and the emotions of the comeback at Vanderbilt and that throw and some things that Jaden Mayava has done that are great, that are like, wow, he's taking this. I think it would be an emotional decision to say that that was enough to for him to claim the starting job. But that's been what fans have kind of reacted to, uh, is the fact that the team's winning and Jaden's the one doing it. I will not deny that the offense has looked better at times. It has looked smoother. 
But I also will take into account the fact that the ground game has looked a lot better in the last two weeks than it ever has, really, in my recent memory of UNLV football. So that being said, the assessment of Doug losing his job to this injury, I don't think Mayava has done enough to make that proclamation for sure. I think what people are excited about and what I, too, have been excited about since I saw Jake Mayava last year in his redshirt year in practice is what he will be when he is ready, when it is his turn, when he does take over Doug's spot or Doug moves on and it is now Jay Maiava's team. That is what I'm excited about. And I think that's what fans are anticipating when he does take over, how great he can be. I don't think he's there yet. I don't. I think there's evidence to suggest that he still has room to grow. Um, and I think the team still has a better chance to be its full, complete self with a, a potent passing game with Doug at the helm. So I, I I would urge fans, I love the excitement. I love the conversation. But my my insight from watching the team and my observation is Doug still is the starter. And Mayava has to wait his turn. And maybe it does happen later this year. Maybe Doug comes back and doesn't perform to his standards still. And the decision is made. But I don't think right now Mayava has done enough to snatch the starting job from Doug Brumfield. So tying in the running game to Mayava's play, uh, PFF and that Hawaii game, Caleb, only had it at 11 play action pass attempts and dropbacks with play action. Is that a good number for how good this running game has been? Should we see more play action attempts from Mayava in this offense? And even when Doug comes back, considering how good they've been running the ball? I think it's a matter of how much you can set up. And I don't want to put a number to it uh, as a standard of what's good or what's not. I think it's the tempo of the game. If you run the ball effectively and the team that you're playing never adjusts, and never does anything uh, to, to let's say, load the box uh, against you to stop the run, uh, That's then no, don't stop running the ball. Keep running it. No need for play action, right? In the case of Hawaii, Hawaii actually played a lot of man coverage or man-type schemes on the back end of those loaded boxes. So play action doesn't really affect man coverage. So I don't think you get the same response uh, from the defense if you run play action, if the team, the guys on the edge are playing man-to-man. Like, it doesn't matter to them that you fake, fake the run they're responsible for guarding their receiver. So I think that may have skewed the number and the relationship to the play action versus actual run plays. So who knows? If there's a team that they face that's more zone-oriented and loads the box, then I think it does behoove the Rebels to use play action more often. Uh, I don't think I would rush to judge or rush to say, yes, more play action. It's the key to get the pass game running. I don't necessarily think that's true. In this case, uh, I don't think the sample size is big enough. And I don't think anybody's stopped the run effectively effectively enough in recent weeks to suggest that play action needs to be used more. You're playing winning football by running for 300 yards a game. Why stop doing it? Now, at some point, you and I see and we all know that some point in the future, you're going to have to do something different. Somebody's going to commit to stopping it and be effective in stopping the run. What will you do then? Will it be play action pass? Will it be drop back pass? Will your quick game come to life? things that need to be answered and things that Jade Maiava right now as a starting quarterback has not been forced to answer because the running game has been pretty good and pretty effective for the Rebels so far. So let me ask you this. I wanted to flip this to the defense. One of the things that really stuck out to me when I was watching up in the press box was moving this defensive line around a bunch. And the specific formation, I even asked you about this right after the game, that really stuck out to me is when they stacked their overload of the defensive line to one side of the center, and then they had two stand-up guys on the other side, and that seemed to create a lot of issues for Hawaii. Why does that work? Why does putting your three big guys on one side and two quick guys on the other make an offensive line work? Why did that continuously push Shager out of the pocket? 
So this is, it's funny because Vanderbilt did the same thing to UNLV on the play that Doug actually got hurt on the sack. They did yeah. the exact same scheme, uh, dialing up the pressure. What it does, and the Dallas Cowboys have done this actually in the pros. What it does is it puts your defense or your offensive line in a bind. I always look at protection as a system of constants and variables. Down linemen are conventionally thought of as constants in the rush. If I have three down linemen on one side, I know there's three people rushing from that side. I'm going to make my protection those three guys. The extras, the variables, the two stand-up guys, those are the ones I'm not concerned with. Like the running back will pick them up. That will be, you know, the leftovers or I'll throw hot routes off of them. What that overloaded defensive line does is it forces your protection to focus on those three. The variables now become wasted bodies. Like let's say the variables on the front of the line, the, the two stand-up guys on the left side of the offensive line for UNLV, uh, I'm just doing it from that perspective, those guys drop out. Now essentially you have two offensive linemen that thought they were going to be blocking two guys, and now they're not. They're, they're completely wasted on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage. While Meanwhile, the three rushers that were the constants rush from that side, and all you have to do is add one on a delayed blitz, and now he's a free runner. You're only rushing four bodies, but the four bodies are coming from the same side. Your protection wasn't allowed to adjust. You hadn't game planned for it, so when you see it for the first time, it works, i.e. Vanderbilt having a free rusher and getting a clean shot on Doug Brumfield, i.e. the Rebels coming up with six sacks against Hawaii. You have to adjust to it in-game. Protections conventionally aren't designed to account for those kinds of overloads, at least structurally. When you, once you get the film on it, once you see it enough on film, you can make some special protection to account for it. But in-game, in real time, I'm telling you, the way quarterbacks make protection calls, the way linemen uh, count the box and count the numbers up front, you just don't count it up the appropriate way when you overlaid, overload one side like that. Caleb Herring is with us, former UNLV quarterback, the analyst on the games, uh, co-host of the Barry Odom radio show. Really short here, and I, I don't want to squeeze you too much, but I got less than a minute. Um, there was a block, an ISO block uh, battle between the O-line and the D-line in the Jets-Chiefs game, and I saw someone retweet a take on that. It looked like a hold. Someone said, for various reasons, it was not a hold, and I know you reacted by saying, no, you're misapplying the rule here. Yeah, I think what people are doing with that call, and it was a hold, there's no doubt about it. What people are doing with that is uh, assessing what is a teaching mechanism, what is a coaching pointer to actually what the rule is, what the rule is intended to do. Blocking is done with your feet. You have to position yourself in a way, just like charges in basketball, you have to position yourself in a way where you are impeding the progress of a defender using your positioning, not your arms. At any point, whether your arms are inside the shoulders or outside the shoulders, if at any time your grasp, your positioning is lost and all that is keeping the person from their progress is you holding them, that is holding. I'm not going to debate whether or not it should have been called because that's objective. You could say that that's been happening all game. That's why the ref didn't throw it. Fine. I'll, I'll give you that. But to say that it's not a hold, <laughs> a to hold. say that that block was legal it's just nonsense. It's just ridiculous. other nonsense. That, that's my that's my standpoint on it. It's a hold. The Chiefs got away with it. The Jets got to live with it. Right, what do you know? Yeah. All right, Caleb. <laughs> we, we appreciate it. Thank you. No problem, guys. Take care. See you, man.